of The Dish, an NBA-specific podcast brought to you by The Instant Spectator. I'm your host, James Patrick, and on the other line, Gerald Hart, how are you? What up, what up, what up? How you doing, man? Uh, I'm doing all right, I'm doing all right. Weather's not too bad, um, you know, uh, Thanksgiving is in a couple days, I'm ready to chow down and feel miserable for the following weekend, <clears throat> but I mean, honestly, you know, I, I have to say this weekend was, it was rough, man, between... Uh, between the Bulls um, opening up the chest of the entire Charlotte Hornets organization and fan base, and ice, uh, I call him Ice Levine, Zach Levine with his ice cold hands and ice running through his veins, ripped out our hearts, ripped them out. <clears throat> yeah, and then, he did. Yeah, he did. Uh, and that was followed by and a, a ha- also. Uh, a, a very, very disappointing Panthers loss as well, um, but but one that I saw coming a, a little from from a little bit uh, sooner than I saw the the Hornets were coming from. But that's just because I'm uh, I'm very acutely aware of the signs and uh, symptoms of a a Panthers meltdown. So I, I know what to look for there. But the Hornets one is that one really hurt. That one hurt bad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the Panthers game, and I mean, I, I never went into the game expecting them to win, right. but they got so close, the expectation kind of was there, and uh, it was heartbreaking to see uh, to see it hinge just on that missed field goal. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, not to get too far into it, but my buddy Pat had texted me and was like, "So should they go for a touchdown?" And I was like. Do do you feel confident kicking uh for three instead? And he was like, "Well, kinda." And I was like, "You know, because it's not just that. Like, there was two minutes and change on the clock. Yeah. You know, it's plenty of time for Breeze to drain some clock and score right. a touchdown. Well, at well, least, and also, uh, I mean, at, at, at worst. Go ahead. Oh no, say yeah. It was you know they were going to score a touchdown most likely at worst. Um. And Pat said he felt good about how the defense had played up to that point, and you know, to to their credit, yeah, they you know, they gave up some points, but they gave their team the chance to take the lead, and well, they to, just well, couldn't to do be it. honest, and that was it was heartbreaking, but well, not to surprising. be honest, like should you have faith in a guy to make you know a, a long, difficult in crunch time when he's missed two extra points already on the day? Probably not. So that's how that's why I'm saying like at least I. I was braced for that one, but the Hornets one, like <clears throat> it was funny. It started to happen, and as uh, Zach Levine kind of got his hand in the cookie jar on that that last inbounds pass with about seven and a half seconds to go, and I saw the ball on the ground, I just said, "Oh no, oh no!" And then my <laughs> wife, she was like, "She was like what?" And then I saw Zach get the ball and start dribbling out to the three point line, and 
I mean, the dude was on fire. I think I think he finished the game after hitting the game winner. I think he went 13 for 17 from three on the game. Yeah. And I mean, and I, and I watched most yeah. of that game, and the dude was just a flamethrower. He was just hitting everything. But but as soon as he started to dribble out to the three-point line, I started to, to kind of, like, cackle and laugh a little bit. And, like, my wife is looking at me like, you know, something's really wrong. And he hit it, and I just kept laughing. And – she couldn't figure out why I was laughing at a Hornets loss, but I mean, it's all it's all I could do because it, it was all I could do to just laugh, you know. No, I mean, it is. I mean, it is funny, yeah. right? Like they they strip the ball and they get the ball back mm. on the baseline, and two points ties it. They probably win in overtime either way, but uh, you know they go for the they go for the dagger shot that you know if they miss they lose. Like that's kind of interesting about it to me is. Uh, but, but, you know, at that point, as you said, uh, there's no one that you wanted taking that shot other than Zach Levine. And I mean, it didn't even look like it moved the net when the ball passed through it. And, you know, it's like, I I've been conditioning myself over the last couple weeks. I mean, I knew, I knew I was going to have to do this before the season started, but I've really started to try and condition myself over the last few weeks to try and like make sure that these went like that a win or a loss doesn't really affect me a lot with the Hornets because I don't expect them to win a lot of games and they shouldn't, but they were starting to win some and yeah. it was like kind of messing with me. Cause like, I didn't want to believe it, but you know, I, I, but a small part of me wanted to also believe it, you know, but I was like, I was like, I knew what was going to happen. I knew, I knew we were eventually we we're going to have to sort of fall back down to earth. And I think it's starting to happen now. Hornets are now six and 12 after starting the season. Uh, I believe we started the season like six and we were like six and five at one point um, or something or six and six. We were something like that anyway. So, so things are balancing out and uh, you know, I'm returning to baseline as I think the Hornets are as well. Hopefully. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I agree with that assessment. I still don't think they should have anywhere close to six wins, but that's a different, right. We have we have plenty of time. A different sort of yeah. Way we have of plenty of time it. to not win more games. That's okay. Um, I'm just. I mean, I'm just worried that you know they've even in just winning six games that they might have put themselves outside of the race that it'll take to get back under what Cleveland and what New York and perhaps even. You know, Memphis well, or Golden State. I well, mean, look, I'm going to put it this way: when it, when we get into you know mid to late June, into July, and whenever I think it's they do the lottery odds in mid mid June or something. Um, when they when they when that's coming back around, I'm sure that I will have um, rekindled my sort of superstition that you know so, somebody in Charlotte or around the Hornets organization did something to. Um, get us cursed by the basketball gods and whatever the chances are we will probably not get what we should in the draft however that being said as of right now you know whether we win whether we have the worst record in the league or the seventh worst record in the league the way that the odds have sort of flattened out a little bit more you know I mean there there's always a good chance that you could still end up with a higher pick even if you shouldn't um you know we we have already seen that happen this year. I mean, with the, the Grizzlies and the Lakers both getting the, the two, the second and um, fourth pick in the draft this past year. So, I mean, it can happen, but again, just whatever sort of curse that is on the Hornets is probably not going to allow us to get a good pick anyways, but that's neither here nor there. 
I mean, yeah, you're probably correct. <clears throat> the saving grace partially is that in the West, there are several teams that have six wins right now and around six who have a lot of incentive to try to push to make the playoffs. Right. So, you know, I think at least Portland, New Orleans, OKC, Sacramento all have six. Sac- Sac- Sacramento has seven. Phoenix has eight wins. Uh, even Minnesota at nine. I, I mean, I think those, what, five teams, yeah. six teams are uh, – those are probably going to be pushing to win as many games as possible, no right. matter what. Yeah, Spurs. The Spurs probably are going to push, but I mean, you know, we'll probably end up talking about them well, later. We can... Maybe not that. Maybe not this pod, okay. but down the road about whether or not they're cooked. You right. know, because they have not been playing that well so far, and you know, we know that Pop could turn some teams around sometimes. So we'll we'll give them some more time to see if they can <clears throat> unlock. Well, some sort of well, cheat I mean, code. I, so I'm, I kind of want to go ahead and at least bring it up now, if, if you don't mind, um, on some level. Um, no, no. So I mean, go ahead. if we if we look at it t- the way it is today, out of the teams we expected to be in the playoffs, I think the only one that isn't is Portland, and you know we can just sort of flip flop them in Dallas, since Dallas at least to this point has done as well as they have. Obviously, injuries or other things can derail the season, but you know if we just want to flip flop those two and. As we kind of said before the season started, and as most people said, you know, you really have like six concrete teams. Um, you know, L.A., Denver, well, both L.A. teams, Denver, Houston, Utah, yep. Yep. and then it was yep. Portland, but yep. we'll just say it's Dallas for now, just just for argument's sake. So that that's the top team. So then, I mean, we got two spots left. Uh, you know, I think Minnesota or Phoenix is going to get one of those spots, if not both. So... <clears throat> I'm leaning toward Phoenix. I would not be surprised if Minnesota misses the playoffs. I, I don't know that they will. I don't have a strong okay. feeling that but, they but will. You probably, but I, w- I would but you be, probably don't have a strong feeling that I would they be less surprised. Okay. Right. I would be less surprised if Minnesota misses the playoffs than I would be for Phoenix to miss this okay. year. Okay. So we'll just say, you know, we'll just say that, like I said, one of those two teams is going to get one of those other two spots. So then you have one spot left. And, you know, out of the teams that are currently not in the playoffs, um, you know, who would you expect to get that out of Sacramento, OKC? I mean, you could, I guess you could say New Orleans. I wouldn't put them in that category. But then Portland and San Antonio. I mean, nah. I see New Orleans trying to compete. I don't see New Orleans really being the shoe in candidate for that spot. To be honest, I feel, uh, I feel like it'll end up being like a real slick OKC team. I like Sacramento. I was I've been watching some more of their games. I think they have a lot of interesting pieces, but it's hard not to think that some of the organizational dysfunction that they have isn't going to sort of hamper some of their potential. Yeah, I mean, after starting out the season, they had five straight L's in a row to start the season, and um, since that time, um, I think they've gone like ten and five, or or, or, or like seven and five, or something like or. They've done they've done really well. Yeah, seven and, yeah, yeah. Seven and one. It's like se- yeah, like seven and five. No, yeah, yeah. Something anyways, like that. they've seven. Yeah, you're right. So seven like they've like they've turned it around um, since that terrible start. But you know, as it is with all these teams, I think it it is an uphill battle. Um, but it's interesting because they've still done pretty well, uh, even though they haven't had um, you know the starting point guard, probably best player in De'Aaron Fox. But you know, Buddy Hield's really stepped up. Now, I mean, I guess you could look at the schedule and say they haven't really faced any crazy good teams since they played the Celtics and the Lakers in back-to-back games. Um, 
So, I mean, that could also be another reason why they're, they're sort of uh, coming out of the mud a little bit. But um, is there any topic necessarily, like anything that you would like to, to sort of take this off towards right now? Um, while we're talking about Portland, we might as well go ahead right. and oh, yeah. sort of touch yeah, yeah, the, on the new guy. what they're doing and Yeah, yeah, and they brought Mello, a new yeah. guy, right? What's his name? Uh, I think it's Car- uh, Carmelo I thought, something. I thought his first name was Hoodie. I did. I didn't know. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, it's un- it's unclear which, which Carmelo has been signed. Right. right. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, like honestly, I feel kind of, uh, and I'm curious to hear what you have to say. But I feel kind of bad because, like, you know, they brought him in because they really, really, really just need good, solid players, right? Like they like they just got Dame back last night, I believe. But before and Whiteside, <clears throat> for that matter. But before that, <clears throat> they um they they were missing Dame for a few games. They missed Whiteside for a few games. Um, you know they've had injuries to Zach Collins and um, the the Bosnian Bear. I don't know why his name's escaping me right now. But <clears throat> they've had <clears throat> just a lot of injuries. So they just need good solid players, especially like in those just like forwards kind of like wing players in general. Um, but I feel so I feel bad because, you know, he was walking into a bad situation regardless because the team is just not that good. Like I said, with all the injuries they've had, all the people that they lost this offseason and the other people that they brought in to replace them. You know, it's just not a good situation <clears throat> to begin with. So I feel bad that he's here now. And, you know, if the, the team's probably going to lose a lot of games, and who knows what kind of shape he's going to continue to be in, even though he did look good last night. But, you know, it's just going to be kind of a, a pile-on-mellow yeah. type situation, probably, again. <clears throat> yeah, I I don't know. I, I feel that way, but I also feel like as long as expectations are mm-hmm. tempered somewhat, um, it's probably not a bad um position to be put in right he's not going to the team is not asking him to change his game around we know he's we know he's had some hardships in his career being asked to do that and not being totally either totally ready or totally Mm -hmm. willing um i mean we're at the point in his career where you know it's not like he's been playing as as in his prime so there's less reason for him to be frustrating about it, but the team doesn't seem to be asking him to change his game around. Yeah. They're just asking him to play right, well. Right. I think that I think that that's good, right? Mm-hmm. Like if he can if he can find the way to replicate and consistently do what he did last night, 25 and 8, you know, then that really changes the narrative around whether it was a good idea to sign him. Um, you know, cuz I think part of the conversation with Melo is uh whether he's washed, but Part of this is like if it's a bad situation, uh, it's a bad situation because they need him to start at point power forward, and you know I mean he's not the most de- he's not the most defensive player to begin with, so you know if he's not going to put up any points on offense, that feels like a doubly rough player to have to start on the court yeah. too, right? Like he's not just coming off the bench; he's starting. Again, I like Melo, and this is not all aimed at sure. him because I think, you know, the Blazers' big problem is that, you know, they signed Melo, and that's not really what they needed to fix the problem that they have. 
You know, they haven't really beat anyone that's actually very well, good. Mello, uh, no, no. Uh, Mello, Mello might not. No be, offense to Atlanta. Mello might not be the answer, but he's also not the problem. I mean, the team, the team just wasn't good before yes, he got there. You correct. Know? And and you know, yeah. it does kind of say a lot about where Portland is that they do have to sign him, and he is starting for them. But I mean, if you look at the people that they're trying to choose between, I mean, if we're talking about power forward, we can just more broadly limit this to forwards. I mean, Carmelo Anthony, Kent Bazemore, Scala BCA, uh, Nasir Little, Mario Hazonia. I mean, I don't know which one of those five you'd rather take, but I would probably take Carmelo. You know, if you're if you're wanting to win, to yeah yeah, just start. I I think Skull has had some some good moments hey, coming up, but he's not hey, he's not superseding. Uh, look Mello. look, there are always seats available on the Skull train. Skull train will probably never leave the station because it will never get enough passengers to ride. But the train is open and it has been for like three years now. Um, I think four years actually. I don't know. Let's see. One, two. Yeah, this four years now. I remember his rookie year, like we were low key kind of on him. You know, we kind of liked him a little bit. Um, but we liked a lot of trash teams with a lot of trash players in the past. So that's not really saying a lot about them, uh, as I think it is saying more about us and our um, our attraction to uh, <laughs> not good <Yeah>. basketball. <laughs> I mean, it's more of an indictment of, you know. Players like Kent Bazemore, I think, than Mello, sure. right? I mean, you would think that they would be a better team if you only told people that, you know, they, they have Mello, but they have Skull and uh, Kent Bazemore. Like, anyone who knows basketball knows those names. I don't think that, um, you know, I don't think that's a, a great team. You know, that's not a team that makes me feel like, oh, they're going to the playoffs. But that's also not a team that when I hear those names as forwards, I think that that's really where they're lacking some depth in. No, I understand that. Um, So something I just want to bring up really quickly, it's not even, it's like one of those things, it's one of those hot topics that you just really shouldn't discuss. It's kind of, again, it's like piling on mellow, sort of, um, but it is one that I do find more interesting. It's also sort of like, you know, piling on the Tesla truck. It's just, it's so easy, but it's kind of unnecessary, you know, because it's probably a good product. Yeah. Um, But that's neither here nor there. Um, so, like, I guess kind of what I want to bring up is, like, you know, where where are we on the, the general Kyrie discussion? You know, because Kyrie is one of the most volatile guys when we talk about, you know, who's great and who's not. And I think that and, – and I'm not trying to say that he's one or the other, but, you know, it's kind of weird, isn't it, that – it seems like every team that he leaves does better when he leaves. Obviously, the Cavs weren't a good example because they still had LeBron James. Um, and, I mean, essentially any team with him on it is going to be competing. But, you know, the Nets, they started out 4-7 and seven this year when they, with Kyrie starting. Um, he's missed the last, five, or the last six games, uh, and he's going to miss the next couple. Um, I don't know if he is on the second or – anyways, he's going to miss three games. I don't know if, he's already, uh, if they've already played one of those games or not. But ironically or unironically enough, those three games were one against the Cavs, two against the Celtics. Um, so make of that what you will. But needless to say, the Nets are 5-1 and one in their last six games without him after starting 4-7. and seven. Um, he left Boston, and they replaced him with Kimball Walker. Uh, 
that is another interesting topic in and of itself to me because we've had this discussion for the last really for about the last three years now about whether you know who who's really more valuable between Kyrie Kemba and Kyle Lowry um we we've had that discussion a lot over the last few years but anyway so they so but to a lot of casual fans you know Kyrie's the superior player um he left Boston brought in Kemba and they're off to a fantastic start they're tied for second um with a couple teams in the east um, but they're, but they're starting out 12 and four, uh, and their team chemistry seems to be at an all time high. Uh, everybody loves Kemba cause I don't know why you wouldn't. So, you know, I mean, we have to bring it up though, right? Like Kyrie may, might be a really great player, but is he going to, is he a good team player? And is he going to help you, you know, win games on his own? Like, I really wonder. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think my position has changed any on Kyrie that I don't think that he's a good fit for chemistry, even if he is, you know, one of the 10 most talented players in the league. Yeah. Well, and it, like what I think what makes it harder is that he's so like incredible to watch. Like you have to, you're always drawn to watching him play because he's just such a magician on the court. And, you know, that can lead to, you know, teammates just standing around and also watching because, you know, sometimes you kind of get caught up in what others are doing. Like, I know you played pickup ball before with somebody that was just so superior. Yeah. They were just so much superior to everybody else that you gave them the ball because, you know, you thought it would be easier to just let them go to work. And, you know, you just kind of find yourself standing there and you have to think like, oh, like, you know, this is still just one guy. Like, he, he needs help. But anyway, so, so yeah. Uh, yeah, my position hasn't really changed on Kyrie either. I just wanted to bring it up, sort of. Um, yeah, no, I mean it's an interesting. It um, yeah, it's an interesting thing to think about because how it ultimately mm-hmm. plays out for Brooklyn, I think, will affect Brooklyn's overall potential. You know, I mean, they're definitely good enough to go to the playoffs, yeah. but you know, if we're considering how far you get in the playoffs and what you really. What, what a team really needs to go far in the playoffs is often chemistry much more than just one all-star being, you know, one or two slots better than another all-star. You know, it's a team game. Mm-hmm. I don't think that, you know, if, if Kyrie's playing well and feels good, I think that's fine. I, I don't know exactly what it is or what to write some of his moodiness up to. Uh, recently, I would say I'll read you a couple of these things. Uh, in fact, uh, just earlier today, Dan Feldman for NBC Sports reported uh, a couple more reported examples emerge of Kyrie Irving's moodiness with the Celtics. And uh, according to Jay King of The Athletic, uh, here was a quote that uh, he had gotten from a player. While Celtics teammates uh, worked out on the floor the next day, sources say <clears throat> Irving climbed into the stands and sat by himself. The practice was voluntary, but the way he had disengaged himself while his teammates put in work struck observers. He was just disconnected, said one witness. Uh, Another example, one assistant coach said he rode about 30 or 40 flights on an elevator with Irving, and the guard did not say a single word. I I don't know that that's... Can I interject on on that, at least that last one? (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say. I mean, I don't know that that's a smoking gun. I, I don't know why you would look for someone to really have a conversation with you at an elevator. Um, <laughs> yeah. But so the concept, but the concept of ignoring and not speaking to an assistant coach. Yeah, you know, I get that as a potential point of reference here. I don't quite understand whether so you know, like being on an elevator. Yeah, actually yeah. So matters. like, <clears throat> like I get the idea of like <clears throat> you know not. Um, not acknowledging somebody's presence or existence, you know, that you work with. I get that, but the, <laughs> it's kind of funny to think that, you know, we should get mad at one guy who chose not to say anything on an entire elevator ride because the other guy said so. What if Kyrie came out and said, hey, you know, I was on this elevator for 30 floors with this assistant coach and he didn't say a word to me. You know, like, <laughs> I feel like that's kind of silly. It's kind of silly, yes. right? No, I, I no, yeah, I I totally agree with that. Uh, but it all, I think, whether you know whether they're legitimate or not, it underscores the basic idea that yeah, there, there's some I mean, sort of social, you know, some sort of sociability more, um, bridges to cross with Kyrie. Yes, and I think that you know, for someone like Kyrie who has labeled himself a basketball genius. <laughs> um. The the idea that he has the awareness to know that he's a genius, but not understand how the way he works can wear on his team um, is a little a, a little mystifying. So should we? To be honest, I mean, I, if it if it's just a case uh-huh. where, and I, I don't expect him to come out and you know tell the media I am the way I am and I'm doing the best I can, um, but you know you uh-huh. would think that there would be more of an imperative to try to make sure his team understands that I might be a little aloof, but, you know, you know, whatever kind of statement he needs to make to keep them get to, together. I don't know. It does feel like he is yeah. out of touch with how his actions affect team chemistry. Sometimes. So, so, so instead of basketball genius, should we just call him the professor? <laughs> yeah, we could definitely call him that. He's always, He's a, he's always seems like he wants to teach someone something. <laughs> I mean, we got Chef Curry. I mean, we got <laughs> Doctor Kyrie. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, that's that's funny though. Yeah, third third the, the third right, eye, yeah. Professor Third Eye. That's hilarious. Um, so, anyways, I, I see something else here that I'm kind of interested in. Um, you put down that uh, yeah. you think that the Eastern Conference playoffs are already set. Yeah, I was wondering, you know, when you look at the 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 teams that are in right now, um, Orlando, Brooklyn, going from from eight to one. Orlando, Brooklyn, Indy, Philly, Toronto, Miami, Boston, Milwaukee. Uh, I mean, I think those were all teams that we roughly labeled as in our over under yeah. pod as being what we roughly expected to be right in the conference and. I mean, you know, Detroit, Charlotte, Chicago, Cleveland, New York, they've been just dog shit. Um, don't, at, don't dress it up at all. Atlanta. Yeah, I won't. Uh, Atlanta, uh, you know, they've, they've struggled with some uh, lo- losing some people to some injuries over yeah. a couple games, even though they've had some more flashy moments than actual yeah, so, wins. Yeah, sorry, um, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to end by saying 
the closest team right now to the playoff run is Washington in ninth. And it might be interesting, actually, to hear what you have to say, sort of combine these two topics, the uh, pl- the, the teams we might mm-hmm. see in the playoffs with Washington, because one of the other notes that I put down, down here was related to some of the best duos in the league. And I wrote, is Bill and, Wag- uh, is Beal and Wagner, <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, Beal and Wagner, I can't... Uh, just my American right, right. tendency to read that that way. Uh, are are Beal and Wagner one of the best duos in the league? I mean, it, that's funny. That's a good one. Um, however, I do really like Mo Wagner a lot. He is he's he's super cool. I think he's a good player. Um, but so yeah, I mean, I, I'm more I'm more serious no, than sarcastic with that too because. It's, Look, they have nine. They 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 have nine wins. Uh, I'm sorry, they have uh, five wins, nine losses. So they don't have a great record. Well, but, look. Well, look. I mean, out of all the you know, things that we've both said to each other that have either turned out to be completely true or or completely false, um, things that we've been able to hold over each other that are really funny. Um, that one would be one of the best ones. You know, I low key kind of hope it happens just so that you can be right, so that we can laugh well, about it. I, look. Well, listen, aren't um I'll have to go and look at it, but aren't Washington one of the uh don't they have like one of the highest offensive ratings in the league right this second? Uh, I, I cannot uh I cannot confirm nor deny that. Actually I can I can do that actually right now. Um <laughs> uh let's see here. Um so yeah. Uh yes, their yep. their offensive rating is one fourteen point yep. five. They're second that's, in the that's league. That's solid. Um I, I, I give you that. So, you know, that's at least part of what I was kind of coming with that. Yeah, no, I, honestly, um, I've really liked, uh, I mean, if we're going to talk about the, the Wizards for a minute, I mean, I really have liked the way that Mo Wagner has, has come out because I did like him coming out of college a couple years ago. Um, but I've been, like, super impressed with Rui Hachimura because I wasn't sure how he was going to be. Um, but he's he's been super good Yeah. Um, for them so far. <laughs> yeah, he has. Yeah, no, he's been solid. Uh, it's hard to, I mean, you know, when you look hey. at the makeup of the team, it's hard to ask more from any one player uh-huh. to get, you know, thir- thirteen five and two basically. All right, hey, so so I'm gonna I'm gonna spit some numbers for you, okay? <clears throat> you're gonna you're gonna love this. All right, okay. When Mo Wagner is on the court, Washington Wizards are plus seven point seven points per one hundred possessions. Okay. When Mo Wagner mm-hmm. is off the court, they are minus seven point three points per one hundred possessions. So there's a 15 point Ooh. swing between when Mo Wagner is and is not on the court, <clears throat> and just and and here and here what, here's what makes that even crazier. Um, it's th- those swings are even greater than Bradley Beal's on off numbers. The the Wizards are minus 1.9 when he's on the court and plus 0.7 when he's off the court. Mm-hmm. Obviously, those aren't that's not a big difference right there. And he does play the most minutes on the team. So his numbers are going to be more realistic than some other guys, <clears throat> maybe like Mo Wagner. But I just wanted you to know that, um, you know, there may be some, some truth uh, to what you're trying to tell me right now. <clears throat> <laughs> well, I appreciate you at least uh, treating that more seriously than at first. <laughs> uh, now that you said that, I can't believe you I just mean, did that to me. I mean, think about this. Like, Mo Wagner's numbers, right, his shooting splits on the season right now are uh, 63, 49, and uh, 80. Yeah, I mean, he can't keep that up, right? 
No, he probably no, he probably won't. But um, you know, if, if they're going to be a duo that we would talk about, that's part of what he was. <clears throat> will have to keep doing for sure. I mean, they're not. You know, they I think their real failure as a team is more defensive than offensive. But um, no, that's that's fair. You know, when you were mentioning when you were mentioning earlier last week, you were saying because part of the duos note that I made was putting. Russ and Harden second, because you were asking me as, you know, other than Braun and AD, what other duos would you not want to run into? Right, yeah. <clears throat> and the only other two pairs, the only other two pairs I could really think of offhand were Luca and Zinger, and then I wrote Beal and Wagner <laughs> with two question marks. Look out. Look out. <laughs> Bradley Beal and Wagner coming through. Um, you do not want to see that. <laughs> well, um, well, let's see. Maybe we'll end up talking about right, it again. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah, this might turn out to be like our our nets, you know, our nets have too much talent take. Um, but but anyway, but <laughs> but back to the topic at hand though. Um, we were talking about the Easter Conference uh, and, and and the playoff teams being yes. set. I mean, I, look, I give you the first seven. Um, you know, Milwaukee, Boston, Toronto, Miami, Philly, um, Indy, and Brooklyn. I'll give you those. I think that even though Brooklyn's yeah. struggling, yeah, um, they're I think they're still going to make it. Um, but I mean, do you really have that much confidence in, or- in Orlando to, to, you know, hold out on that last spot? I mean, no, not not right <laughs> now. I mean, particularly not when Vucevic is going to be out for another three and a yeah. half weeks at yeah. least. You know, so I, I I don't see them having. You know, one of the things that we've talked about with them is some of their depth, and uh, you know that'll certainly eat into. <clears throat> some of their abilities there. Um, so, I, you know, that's also a reason that I think that Washington is ob- you know, the obvious candidate to be in the running. I mean, I would be very surprised if Detroit somehow puts something together yeah. and makes well, another run at it. I don't I, like there's almost no incentive for them. I to mean, do that's that. true. But at the same time, they did start out the season without Blake um, and Blake has come back. I think he came back one or two weeks ago. Um, so, I mean, like, they, they've started to kind of, yeah. you know, pull it together a little bit as well. Um, I mean, I, honestly, if if Orlando can withstand this Vucevic injury, um, and, and I'm seeing here that he's going to miss at least four weeks. Um, so, I mean, if they, can, if they can get to the new year and still be hovering, you know, right around 500, because they're, they're four games under 500 now. So they're really not there. But if they can get up to there and just kind of hang out around there, I mean, yeah, they can definitely – I would definitely feel more confident in them holding off some of the other teams right now. But, I mean, you know, we're still so early in the season. Like, anybody can go on runs. Detroit can go – they can go on a five-game winning streak, and then they'll just leapfrog straight up into that eighth spot. Um, so, I mean, anything can happen. But what I, what I think is more interesting than maybe, you know – uh, Orlando holding down that last spot and sort of us knowing who's going to be in the playoffs um, is sort of the teams that we are, I think, doing worse than maybe we expected. Um, like, I definitely would have thought that Atlanta would be better than the Knicks, Cleveland, and Charlotte, and Washington at the very least. But right now they're tied for New York um, with second-worst record in the league. So, and, and, you know, part of that has to do with John Collins being suspended uh, for 25 games, and they won't see him back until um, I think right before New Year's or right before Christmas. One of those two. But um, yeah, yeah, no, that, that was a big loss, and Trey Trey was out for a few games. So I mean, they've 
they've lost some games. I think they would have picked up yeah. for sure had they not now been out. You know, I think Ke- Kevin Herter yeah, had yeah, been, been out as well. Yeah, he's been shaking off the rust too. Um, now, on the other yeah. hand, I think a team that a lot of other people, and I think you were too, were a little bit higher on than I was coming into the season with Chicago. And it wasn't that I thought they were going to be bad or that I didn't want to, you know, that I didn't like them. But, you know, I think their their over-under win total was something around 33 or 34. And I'm actually pulling that up and right now. last year they didn't, they didn't win, but – um, 23 or 24 games and it was 30 32 and a half okay. was the over so I knew that essentially they were bringing back the same roster as they were last year so I wasn't I, I didn't personally know where they were going to get those extra wins from unless they just saw a ton of growth uh, excuse me a ton of growth from um, some of their young guys but so that one's a little less surprising to me um I don't know how you how you feel about Chicago. I'm sure you've got some some thoughts on Boylan and uh, Zach Levine. <laughs> <laughs> I I do find that to be fascinating. <clears throat> Zach Levine drops 49 the game after uh, the game after Boylan pulls him in the in at the end of a close one that they end up losing, and uh, you know after Zach drops 49, torches the Hornets. Mm-hmm. Boylan just responds. He's like, "My job is to push the guy." It's like, eh, all right. <laughs> yeah. So if there if there's any sport that Boylan should ever go to after basketball, it's surfing because he knows how to ride a wave. Yeah, he should go to college football. <laughs> right. You know, I, um, I would actually like Chicago. I think would be better if they got Mike Leach from Washington State. <laughs> I mean, no, because then, cause then you'd essentially run into a situation where you have, like, two, uh, you know, pop-esque uh, figures in the league. And I think that that would – I think that having one pop in the league is, is, is what keeps the balance and keeps every – you know, keeps the natural order of things. But I think if you brought in another one, it'd kind of be like trying to put two magnets together where they just can't. Mm you know, touch and connect. Yeah. I think that that would destabilize uh, the whole league. Interesting. <laughs> I, I like that. Uh, that's an interesting analogy. Um, yeah. <laughs> so let me ask, let me see, what what was it I had up here I was going to say, other than uh, uh, before we leave Orlando, not that it's not that it needs a ton of discussion right this second, but uh, is Orlando mm-hmm. resurrecting Markel Fultz? Well, I mean, so it's fun. So uh, not to get off into a side tangent here, but what exactly does it mean to resurrect somebody who never lived in the first place? You know, fair enough. Um, fair point. Fair point. <laughs> I mean, you know, this guy, like, obviously he's res- he might be resurrecting the expectations, you know, or the things expected of him. But as far as like his actual play, there's nothing to resurrect because he hasn't done anything yet. Um, but I mean, like. That being said, uh, I'm super happy that he's at least getting minutes and he's starting. It seems like he might be starting to put it together a little bit now. Um, he's really just been playing in the mid-20s all season, and he's starting to pick up a few more minutes now. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, no, he's he's. I like what I'm seeing from him. He's had, let's see, he's had five straight um, double-digit scoring games. Um, he's, only, he, he's only had one game with more than two turnovers, um, I think, this whole month actually, or almost this whole month, excuse me. Um, so, you know, he, he's really, 
he's doing really well, and I'm happy for him, and I hope he can keep doing it, and I hope he can keep progressing, um, and I hope that he eventually um, figures out how to shoot before Ben Simmons does. <laughs> yes, that would be that that would be uh, something funny to talk about if that happens for sure. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, you want to talk about the biggest non-story? Um, I mean, Melo's number two, but Ben Simmons hitting a three in a game has to be number one, right? Definitely. Like the biggest non-story so far? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, are, do you expect him to shoot more more of those and make more of them, or do you think that it'll just be like a weird one-off kind of thing that he'll instinctively go back to not shooting threes? I think he's just, he's doing it. He's going to start doing it just enough to where – you know, we can't really talk about him not ever doing it. Yeah. Because that's basically all the discussion ever is, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, I think it's situated in, <laughs> it's, well, it's situated in the narrative that the game has shifted where you have to be able to shoot outside. So taking no shots right. outside is highly unacceptable if, you know, I mean, you're getting 20 plus minutes on the floor. Uh, right. unless, right. you know, unless you're solely, you know, if you're Rudy Gobert, that's a slightly different issue to some extent, but, uh, even Gobert has a, a decent looking shot, you know, um, what I find interesting about Embiid going scoreless the other night, last night is, uh, actually in the sort of opposite sense. It's, uh, at what point do we expect Embiid to stop taking so many shots if he's not hitting shots? Uh, do do you understand why he did not start and sh- or shift his mindset to take the ball to the hoop um, rather than Honestly, only taking shots uh, from farther farther away? You know, I mean, I'm not. I mean, I think part of it is tied up in the everyone's expected to shoot outside more and space the floor. But I mean, I think there's a point where you got to understand like what your real strengths are beyond that, and you know, there, there's no one on the floor. Uh, for Toronto, other than Ibaka, that has any size to put on Embiid, and I don't even think Ibaka. Well, well can... Mark, Mark Gasol. They have they have Marc Gasol. Too. Oh, that's right. I completely forgot about that. But um, <clears throat> but even so, uh, no. Embiid should still have some agility on him. So yeah, no, no. Like like what you're saying is still <clears throat> true. Um, there was there was one point I want to say there was like maybe three minutes left, four minutes left, five, five minutes, three, somewhere in there. And he, like, Joe, like, okay, actually, I, I'm pulling it up now. I'm looking at it right now. There was, It was two minutes, 52 seconds left in the game. Score was 96-94. And Joel just catches the ball at the top of the key. And, you know, it's not like he had a lot of room. Like, Gasol wasn't, you know, letting him shoot the shot openly. But – you know, he, he was giving him space. And so, for some reason, Joel decided to shoot the three. And it's like, what what are you doing, man? Like, you're there. there's a lot of time left on the clock. You're down two points. <clears throat> and as you pointed out, you haven't been hitting threes. It almost seems kind of lazy at that point. And so, yeah, no, like, I, I, I was kind of, you know, thinking to myself, like, you know, like, what what is this guy doing here? You know, like, I, it was sort of like I was looking around the room in my brain because I was trying to find an answer for why he would do it. And I just couldn't. Um, so yeah, I mean, like, I, I, I also agree. Like, I don't know why he doesn't just step inside more. 
Um, and especially if he's going to play with Horford. Horford's got, I mean, at least percentage-wise, is the much superior shooter to, to Embiid. But Embiid is, is, the, is the more athletically inclined um, guy. So, yeah, I, I, I also really have no answer, and I have no idea why um, he would do that. But what I think is more troubling than that is the fact that he just didn't score a bucket the entire game. Yeah, he didn't even act. Yeah, didn't even accidentally get two points. <clears throat> right. I mean, he played almost 32 minutes and didn't score a single basket. Now, like again, like Marcus Gasol, I think he's a good defender. He's still got some juice left in the tank, um, but he's not that good. He's not. He shouldn't stop him from getting no points. Yeah. yeah agreed. <clears throat> And maybe it's something like uh, maybe the uh, Al Horford of the league at this point for Embiid is now the Toronto Raptors uh, basketball court. <laughs> I mean, maybe he, so, right? I mean, what isn't that his first uh, visit back there since he left from the playoffs? Um, that is, yeah, I think, I think you're right. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> oh, makes you uh, makes you think. It really does. <laughs> really makes you think. Um, so I think. Uh, I mean, we've got you know ten or fifteen minutes. We can put some stuff in. I think the two most important things to touch on are the MVP race mm-hmm. and okay. Paul George's return to the Clippers. Okay. Um, which one do you want to go with first? Uh, let's start with the MVP race. Because okay. we can run that into the Paul George question of, you know, if Paul George has a season the way he, you know, a consistent season the way he started out, he'll be in the candidacy, right? He'll be one of the names we'll be deciding between for the MVP, correct? I mean, I I think he, he I mean, he definitely could be. But what I, what I am curious about isn't even, like, his production because, I mean, his production is going to be there. And it might even pick up significantly, um, you know, as he gets his legs under him um, and as the season progresses. But you do wonder, you know, how limited is he going to be? I don't think that his um, chronic uh, injury concerns are, are nearly as great as they are for Kawhi. But you do have to wonder if they still are going to take it easy with him in the regular season because – up until it came back, it hasn't been a huge problem not having him. So, you know, they can rest him some more if they want to. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I think he'll, he'll be in that discussion as long as, um, you know, he, he plays uh, the majority of the games this season. Like, if he plays 68 games, he'll definitely be in that conversation. Um, well, before we move totally <laughs> off him, I mean, do you think that, uh, I mean, as long as he stays healthy and Kawhi stays healthy, the Clippers are essentially a shoe-in? Or do you think that a lot more in terms of on-court fit and chemistry is going to come into play than it seems at first? So I'll be be honest with you. Going back to the the beginning of the season, I would have said yes without hesitation that the Clippers were going, you know, to to be there regardless of whatever situation played out. Uh Um, but, But I'll be honest with you, you know, and maybe it's just because I've actually gotten to watch some games mm-hmm. so far this year. But, you know, I I mean, I don't know how you could count out the Lakers, right? Absolutely. Like, like I would, like, I would probably take L.A., like the Clippers, um, without question in almost any series against other top teams aside from the Lakers. 
that's the only one that I wouldn't. Because, I mean, to be honest with you, there's there's been some times where I've watched <clears throat> Lakers games and I've seen Anthony Davis and LeBron on the court together. And I'm just sitting there thinking to myself, like, how how can you stop this? You just, you can't. There's nothing you can do. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that, yeah, part of their dominance is in just size alone, you know. Um, it's 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 similar, it's similar, I say. It's funny because I was listening to the pods, or I've been listening to the podcasts for the Book of Basketball 2.0. And yeah. one of the pods is a rewatchables pod for the Game 6 OKC Golden State in 2016. And yeah. one of the things they mention is just how unbelievable the size that they were that OKC was able to put out in Ibaka, KD and um uh Adams. Yes, Adams. And I I think we see something kind of similar with uh what LA can do with LeBron and AD. Sure. I mean it's just mm-hmm. I mean there there just aren't enough teams that have the kind of size to combat both of them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean the only other team that probably would have you know, <clears throat> similar size, at least in talent, um, <clears throat> would be Milwaukee, right? Uh, I'm sorry, not Milwaukee. Uh, so, sorry, I did, I did not mean to say Milwaukee. I meant to say Philly. Yeah, I was going to say, if I, I was trying to think of who you might have been thinking about. I was like, I can think of Philly, <laughs> and Sim- Simmons and Embiid are both pretty large. Um, yeah. So, yeah, my, my mind naturally goes to them. Um, but yeah, I mean, beyond that, I think most teams only have one one big man to throw at them, and and uh, you know, so I, I'm inclined to agree with you. I think that it'll be far easier for people to underestimate what the Lakers might do, and it wouldn't even surprise me if what we're seeing in some of the regular season is Braun and AD putting in enough to win games, but enough to kind of rope a dope some of the competition. You know, I mean, you right, you have right. to imagine that like play. I mean that. With this these kind of odds, playoff LeBron is going to be in full swing, so it would be sho- right. it would be shocking if we see something in the playoffs that isn't somehow more superhuman <laughs> than what we're seeing already. I've been loving watching LeBron anyway. Just I mean, he's just, yeah, he's just you know, such a good passer, just incredible. You know, I'm just really excited to see um, playoff Wagner. Uh, you know, when the time comes. So- yes, yes, uh, it'll be yeah. Le- that, that that'll be the duo that halts LeBron play be uh playoff W yep yep <laughs> um all right um so so something else you were just kind of mentioning there was uh MVP candidacy yes um now let me go back to the notes to, to use this to see what uh what exactly the reference point here is um well actually there isn't one so I'll let you Tell me what the reference. All right, point so is. what exactly? What exactly are we are we talking about here with the MVP? So pre- preseason, our MVP choices. <clears throat> you you picked LeBron, <clears throat> and I picked uh-huh. the other obvious candidate, Giannis. Yeah. And yeah, uh, I think at least by the basketball reference MVP tracker, Giannis is right. Still got the the largest probability to repeat. Um, <laughs> rightfully year. so, though. Yeah, right. of course, rightfully so. Yeah, I mean the man is scoring. Uh, just under thirty, just insane. over, just over thirty-one points, just under fourteen boards, and almost seven assists per game, almost two steals, almost two blocks. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, collectively steals and blocks. He's combined, you know, averaging almost three a game. Yes, and that's 
that is just mind blowing. But it seems weird to me that you know I think before the season started, and I, I don't think there's any reason to overly be annoyed that you know we put pick Giannis and LeBron. They were obvious candidates, but oh, of course. We, we didn't put any thought into possibly Luca doing something spectacular and. Um, Not at all. Luca has, uh, as I put down, I mean, he started the season just white hot. He leads the league in triple doubles with seven right now. He's third in the league in points per game, second in assists, fifth in double doubles, and second in efficiency for uh, uh, per game. Um, I mean, he's yeah. had like four and or five, four or five games straight where he's put put out plus thirty points. Yeah, and and to be fair, like. Um, his shooting numbers have gone down just a little bit. I mean, kind of as expected, because the way that he came out, I mean, it was it was a little bit much, and there was no way he was going to be able to keep up uh, what he was averaging. <clears throat> but yeah, I mean, honestly, like we, I like at least for me, and I think you too, like coming into um, that draft with Luca, I wasn't a hundred percent sure how to gauge things because there was still some stigma um, about what exactly the competition of European players is to American um, competition, you know? Yeah. And, you know, like there have been examples on both sides of it working out and it not working out. Obviously guys like Jokic and the Zinger, um, you know, were, were kind of already starting to, to make that um, stigma dissipate a little bit. Uh, but, you know, I still wasn't quite sure what to gauge with Luca and how he was going to be. And then, obviously, when he came out, started playing super well. You know, I mean, it was almost instantly like you knew he was going to be a superstar. And he felt dumb. Like, I felt dumb for not believing that he would be um, to begin with. But I didn't see him being this good this fast. I thought he might still be, like, one more year away from being, like, one of the guys, you know. Yeah. But – it, I mean, yeah, it does feel you, like it, he's made the leap relatively quickly. Very, yeah, very quickly. It's like he, yeah, it's like he cut, you know, that timeline down by, like I said, like a year or two, and um, at least, yeah, which is, yeah, which is pretty crazy to think about. Um, so, yeah, I guess my, I guess one, the last thing that I'm curious about with you, when we talk about these these uh, the NBA duos and stuff, um, I mean, do you think that by the end of the year we'll have the zinger and Luca in that, you know, the, you know, the, the duos you don't want to face category, like the people you're, you're hesitant. I mean, I think it's very possible. I mean, watching them both play together, they have a really good chemistry and their ability to not just shoot, but both run the pick and roll and they can both pass really well. So mm-hmm. I, I don't, I mean, if they stay healthy, they're not a duo I would want to run into. Um, you know, so I, it would not surprise oh, me. Fair. Yeah, if, it would not surprise me to to be talking about that in two or three pods again. Um, yeah, well, and and what's crazy about it too is, you know, I mean, Kristaps is doing pretty well. He's averaging eighteen and a half points, nine boards, um, and over two blocks a game. And his shooting numbers are they're they're okay. They're not the best, but they're not bad at all. Um, but you can tell, like when they're playing, like he's still trying to get back to you know, his normal, um, I think he's still trying to, to yeah. get his body back. Right. And I think he's still trying to feel comfortable in his own skin. Cause you got to think he's only, he's only played 15 games so far this season. That's his first 15 games, you know, for the last like year and a half. Right. So, that's, you know, that's true. It's, 
if this guy doesn't progress from where he is now, then they're still in pretty good shape. But if Kristaps is, if he can take it up, you know, one or two more levels, you know, and really get going, then this team is going to be, I mean, a nightmare. Yeah, it could be, could be something spectacular for sure. Uh, and uh, I've closed out the over-under. But I think for Dallas, I think we thought that they would win just under the over-under, which was like 40 games. I, I think, yeah, that's, well, that's, I know that's what I said, yeah. Uh, so I think we still, I mean, they're still on track to win 39 or 40 games. I mean, we, our whole, our whole position was that the, the West is really going to be difficult to steal a bunch of games in. Um, you know, so I, I still think that we're probably going to end up correct about that, but they've had a, a much better start to their season than I think I fully expected. Even though, right. even though I did fully expect Luca to be fantastic, I could never have told you how. <laughs> I could never have told you how good I thought he would be. Um, but I did think but that. when I did think that that he was going to be really good within about five years. I, I don't think that I. Right, I, I right. certainly didn't. If we put money on it two years ago, I would not have put on him. You know, him doing what he what he's doing right now this early yeah but i would you know i mean right, right, right. i have a whole set of text where i just amped with my youngest brother about luca coming over from the uh european ball uh and just how excited i was for him to to play and i was adamant that this was not going to be the same as you know any other example um yeah. so it's been neat yeah. it's been neat to see that play out a little bit um Related to the MVP thing, Harden is up here at four. One of the things I'd ask, I think, recently is uh, how much do we think his inefficiency is going to be a, a problem for him winning the award? I mean, it's going to be difficult um, for him to win it, I think, either way. But, uh, you know, I... Yeah, I, well, I, I mean... Well, I mean, to be honest with you, like... If you, I mean, considering the volume with which he he's taking shots, he's actually not quite as inefficient as as you would expect. Um, <clears throat> he still shoots almost forty four percent from the field, right. and almost thirty four percent from three. Yeah. Which you know, if you're saying those aren't the marks of you know an elite top five player, that would be okay. I understand that, but yes, almost but those are still still very taking, good. Thir- thir- right. thir- he's attempting 13 threes per game. game on average. He's yeah, attempting I mean, like, 13.8 threes. That's insane. That's yeah. It's ridiculous. Uh, one of the fam- one of my favorite stats is that uh, in 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 Shea Serrano's basketball and other things, there's a section where mm-hmm. he says he talks about how much should a basket be worth. I share it with my students because I find it to be an imaginative argument, even if it's one that would be very difficult to implement. Where he says, you know, right. we should imagine things based on artistry. And he says, for instance, Adrian Dantley shot, um, uh, he shot like very well, very, but very, <laughs> but very few threes in his career. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that part of because he shot so few threes in many years that he played, Shea argues that a three for Adrian Dantley should be more. And Shea argues that he says, you know, here's where he says, here's here's where I'll tell you that J.R. Smith, who's roughly the same size that Dantley was and played the same position, says, uh, Shea says, you know, J.R. Smith once took 12 threes in a quarter. And, you know, I think this is the thing to go back if he was going to edit that and put in 
uh, drop, drop that part out and put in, here's where we'll tell yeah. you that James Harden averaged 13 threes a game <laughs> yeah, for his that's, season. That's where you, yeah, that's where you add a footnote to the uh, updated version, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, that's just mind-blowing. But Yeah, no, no, I get that. Um, I think what's even crazier is thirty, almost 38 points. He's at 37.9 right now. And then eight assists. So collectively, he's combining for over 50 points of offense by himself. That's yeah, it's insane. It's um, we'll have to um, we'll have to sit down more broadly and talk about his legacy at some point because we did have a pod oh, where, yeah. we, where we where we floated the idea that he might have better numbers in his career than Jordan. Uh, again, that's well, very that's a very different well, conversation than arguing that he'd be as yeah. significant, but. But better, better right. offensive well, numbers. It's funny, it's funny that you bring that up because if I remember right, um, I like when you when you even brought up the idea of it, I was kind of blown away that you'd even do that. And then when we got on the pod, you know, you were you were saying essentially what you're saying now that you know, career-wise, his numbers might look better in the long run. And then you know, how will that affect how we sort of talk about the discussion? You know. Of, this player versus that player. And then, you know, you were talking about what exactly, like what might end up being the discussion around like best shooting guard all time, you know, like can, is James Harden legitimately going to, you know, ever challenge him for that. And I was trying to distance myself as far away from that conversation as possible. (laughs) Um, And, and, you know, trying to make it explicitly clear that these were not my views. Uh, But now, you know, I kind of look back and I wish I would have hopped on the train with you, Um, but I did not. And that's okay. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, for for every good take, I've got a bad one. I'm sure. I uh, oh yeah, we all do. We uh, just we hey, we just have amnesia, as Reggie Miller says, the good shooters have, and we just keep keep chucking up shots. That's right? true. Yeah, you can't can't let one failure keep you from trying again. Right, <laughs> right. Well, I think uh, I think this is probably any as any it's a good as any place to to end today. Yeah, that, that sounds good to me. Um, as always, if you like what you hear. If you're interested in working with us or communicating with us, we encourage you to send us an email at theinformedspectator at gmail.com. We trust that you are intelligent enough to discern between the subject lines of collaboration and mailbag. But uh, we'd either like to work with you or hear comments, corrections, questions, um, you know, some sort of uh, uh, dialogue that we can get started. We'd love to incorporate onto the pod for sure. Uh, You can catch our written work at thespectatorweekly.wordpress.com You can catch us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Savvy Spectators. We are both active on Twitter. The Informed Spectator is on Twitter at Savvy Spectators. Individually, I am at Austinimus, A-U-S-T-I-N-I-M-U-S. And J? At J, the letter J, P-A-T-704. That is at J-Pat-704. And we are broadcasting free from SoundCloud.com slash The Informed Spectator, the official sound stream of The Informed Spectator and The Dish. Uh, and uh, uh, we, we wish you a wonderful Thanksgiving, and we look forward to recording another pod next week. Yes, sir, man. I'll, I look forward to um, getting off these uh, Thanksgiving takes. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, I'm... I'm <clears throat> Got some takes that didn't make the pod today, so uh, we'll shift right. those. Uh, yeah, we'll shift those around, and uh, uh, we'll we'll get together next week. Right, right. Sounds good, man. All right, buddy. Uh, always good to talk to you. 
You too. All right, have a good one. You too, man. Peace. They're not going to rook us. Take that for data.